It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Except you are with Leah Murray and Greg Scordis today, and we are now joined by Amy Kobabe. We are so happy to have you here, Amy. Um, a Utah you. court has come to a decision regarding, you know, kind of this has been a long story, I think, right? Like a terrible shooting that occurred earlier this year outside of Hunter High School over in West Valley. So, Greg, tell us what you're thinking. Yeah, so this was a this happened in uh, January of this year. Uh, the the shooter at the time was 14. He shot two, uh, shot and killed two other individuals who were both uh, also kids at Hunter High and seriously injured a third. The district attorney's office at first charged this case as a murder under our what some people might call the Serious Youth Offender Act, where they're going to essentially take him into the adult court, even though he's technically a juvenile. Very serious charges. A murder, of course, in Utah carries a life sentence. In this case, it would have been a 25 to life for each count. But recently, the district attorney's office pivoted on that and gave him what we call a, a plea bargain. Now, and I'm sorry, I'm taking Amy's time here, but there there was some talk with his lawyer, the, the, the young man's lawyer, and we don't, we're not going to mention his name because he is still a juvenile, that they had a very good self-defense argument. And under Utah law, that's an absolute defense. So had he prevailed on that argument, the charges would have been dismissed. District attorneys recognized that. They also looked at the, the age of the of the perpetrator and came to a plea bargain where he was allowed to plead guilty to two manslaughter charges in juvenile court. So murder is a first degree felony, manslaughter is a second degree felony, and he's going to serve up to six years in detention instead of prison or jail. He'll be released when he's 21. A lot of people think when you're 18, you're through with the juvenile court, but we can actually keep in Utah jurisdiction over juveniles until the age of 25. So, Amy, tell us, how did the families react to this decision? They are not happy with this deal. The families are upset that they they really see this as a slap in the face was a term I heard yesterday. The families of, and I'm going to use their names, this is, Paul Tahi and Tiavani Lopati, and they were uh, outside of Salt Lake County District Attorney D.A. Simgill's office yesterday, really gathering to make sure that he knew they were not happy with this deal. And they, the, the mother of Paul, uh, who, was, who was killed, was kind of leading this charge. And she says she started out by telling the media that were there that she has forgiven this 15-year-old. She says, I'm not mad at him. I've, in my heart, I have forgiven him, but I'm mad at the system. I'm mad that we weren't able to get justice in this case. And she wants the death of her son and uh, and that the injury of uh, of Asiata, Ephraim Asiata and the death of uh, Tivani Lopati to really be kind of a, a changing point in this county is what she says, that the justice system needs to hold 
uh, murderers accountable is, is the, the term she used. She also talked a lot about the fact that they are Polynesian kids and said that that played a role in this case. So, Amy, what would justice look like? For this mother, like if she saw it, like what would be her ideal? That is exactly the question I asked her. And she said it wouldn't have happened at all. There would not have been a shooting. There would not have been a fight. And she says that the school district would have actually taken action very early because there's allegations of self-defense, that there was bullying happening, that there was tension between these kids early on. She says that the school district should have acted, should have brought parents in. There should have been something that was – this should never have happened. It should have been stopped very early before a gun was ever brought into this and they're standing there now without their their two kids a gun in the face then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up they pointed their guns at me and this is the point where i thought i'm gonna die today started two years of horror for an american in venezuela they said you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Amy, she makes an interesting point, which is that the school didn't take this as seriously as they should have, and the district attorney's office didn't prosecute this perhaps as aggressively as they might have. And she's saying that's because these were young Polynesian victims. Yeah, she said that if her son was white, a white young man, that this would have turned out very differently, that all four of them would have been brought in to a principal's office early on and it would have been figured out. And so, and, and that's... Because that's, there were other perpetrators were than, other than perpetrators. just the shooter, right? Yeah, and so obviously she's seeing that from a perspective where she says she's experienced... A lot of racial injustice in her life and that this is not the first case that they've experienced any kind of racial discrimination. And so obviously she's coming from a perspective where that uh, that is how she's she's seeing this. And, And especially where it's such a tragic case where you have three young men that their lives that they're, you know, Ephraim Asiata will forever have impacts on his his health from the wounds that he suffered. And so. You know, it's hard to stand here and and say that that's not the experience that she's had. Right. Can you speak to, Amy, the reactions from the larger Polynesian community in Utah? This was one of those cases where I stood there and there were so many family members yesterday outside of the DA's office. There were little children there. There were teenagers wearing T-shirts. They had candles. They had uh, posters with photos together, some of them, of things that they'd done together. It was a family event. It almost felt like a family reunion, except that it was so somber. 
and they were hugging and crying. And you can see that this community has really pulled together to help these families and to give that support. A lot of the people I spoke to just off the record, they said, we're just here to support them. Like we don't, we don't want to talk. We want them to be the voices. We just want them to know that we support them and they're holding their toddlers while doing that. And uh, I, I, that was really touching to see that they were coming together for that and, uh, and, and helping them support that message. And they also were, they were gathered around the exit. They wanted to be very respectful of the exit. They said, we don't want to get in trouble and block the exit, but we just want uh, those that work in this office as they come and they leave for the day to see us here and to know that, uh, that we're here and we care about this. I, I, I remember a, a similar protest that occurred at the district attorney's office a couple of years ago. And I talked to you about it yesterday when you're on your way over there. And I said, well, you, you should you should gear up for the worst. But this wasn't like the, the one we had a couple of years ago where windows were broken and things were spray painted. And, and uh, really, the windows of the district attorney's office were broken by a large number of people who were at that time protesting the district attorney's decision not to charge a police officer with the death of, I think, a young Hispanic man. This this group seemed to be a lot more calm. Very calm, very respectful even, I would say. There's still red paint in front of that building on the on the road uh, from two and a half years ago. Right. And, uh, and so you can't help but think of that as you're standing there. But this was a completely different mood. And uh, it was also – there was they, – they had some music playing occasionally. They were honking cars, trying to get support. And I also watched – drivers and people as they they walked by and as they drove by and they were getting attention and uh, they that's obviously the, the the point is to bring attention to their sons and to what happened and we also did get a response from Simgill's office that's and, what I was and, going to ask you what's uh, been yeah. their response yeah they they responded that this is a tragedy this acknowledging that this this community is uh, feeling this pain, uh, reaching out and saying that, but also saying that they have acted with all of the evidence in this case to uh, to, to, to to resolve it. And so obviously we're going to hear something like that from the, the district attorney in this case. But uh, but the message was very compassionate as well to the family. Yeah, I mean, I think the point that the mom is making is the system failed. But we need to not have one part of the system go, well, we did our job, right? Like we all need to figure out how to help these young people, you know, not get to the point of no return in their interactions with each other. And I just think, right, you know, kind of the issues and the crises for our young people just across the country, we need to be as grownups in the society working to fix it. And there are a lot of ways that that's happening. Uh, we did a story yesterday. The Safe UT app is uh, doing a lot of good work and, and receiving million a million messages this last year. So uh, there are resources available. Unfortunately, in this case, it, just the worst thing happened. Yeah. Coming up on hour two, stay with us on Inside Sources. KSL FM Midvale. KSL Salt Lake City. Listen on any smart speaker and in your car at 102.7 FM. KSL News Radio, Utah's all day companion for news. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish 
changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.